Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Thank you very much for being here today. Kansas State preview is today. Derek Young with Kansas State Online, the KSU rival site, joining us to help preview what we should expect in Manhattan in year two for head coach Chris Kleiman. Very excited. Very interesting. Really enjoyed this one. A lot of fun. Very nice to have Derek on the show for the first time. One of the things, of course, we're going to talk about that non-conference game that we now know is going to be against Arkansas State in Manhattan. I love that. I love that game. I love that we are now down to three FCS opponents in this non-conference. Look, I understand the non-conference is what it is, but all things considered, this is a nice slate of games. Okay. TCU is back facing SMU for the Iron Skillet. So long to Tennessee Tech. Texas versus UTEP, Iowa State, Louisiana, OSU, Tulsa, Kansas, Coastal Carolina, Kansas State, Arkansas State. There are only three FCS teams we know of, Houston Baptist, Missouri State, Eastern Kentucky. Still waiting on Baylor to figure out what they want to do. Um, From what I gather, reading the news, as I like to do, my guess is that Baylor would like to stick with Incarnate Word. Louisiana Tech Athletic Director Tommy McClellan uh, told the uh, the News Star on Friday they're still waiting on Baylor. The Baylor is apparently working through their plus ones. They're just waiting to hear a call. So Louisiana Tech would be happy to play Baylor. Um, I understand if Baylor wants to play an FCS team, it's a very Baylor move. 
I would rather just play Louisiana Tech. So again, if we're going to have these non-conference games when everyone else is playing 10 conference games, or in the case of the ACC 10 plus one, can we make sure that 10th game is as good as we can get it? Okay. I understand that, that football doesn't matter as much right now, but if football is going to matter, if we are going to have a playoff, like this is the kind of stuff that's going to come into conversation. If you think the SEC isn't going to use the fact that they are playing 10 SEC games as a way to justify getting like three SEC teams into a four-team playoff, you're out of your cotton pick in mind. So let's try to make sure that the plus ones are at least interesting, entertaining, worth watching. We're all going to watch every single one of them on the 12th, but can we just get the best games that we can? We have a nice slate. We do. Louisiana, awesome. SMU, awesome. Arkansas State, lots of fun. If we can get Louisiana Tech in there too, I'll take it. Again, all things being as they are, all things relative, all things considered, these are solid games. Uh, OU players back on campus, apparently nine have uh, tested positive for the virus. I know I've seen a lot of people tweeting a lot of things about this. It's to be expected. I've seen different reports as to whether these nine were ones who left campus or not when they were allowed to go home. I think the last word was that they weren't those. Then you see the videos out of Oklahoma State in Stillwater, students back there, and the long lines down the strip trying to get into the bar. See the bars packed, no one wearing masks. Shocking. We all thought that a bunch of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds were going to make smart decisions. Guys, we knew this was coming. Here's all I'll say. You can't control the ones around you. And if if rules and regulations aren't going to be put in place that require people to do certain things to try and beat the virus, then people are going to do what they want. And even when those rules are in place, it's not like we haven't all walked into buildings where there are mass regulations and people, and no one's not wearing a mask, okay? All I ask is this, I want the season to happen. I want the season. So if you want the season like me, please wear a mask. Just wear one, Okay. I understand it's an inconvenience to you. I understand you don't like it. I don't care about your politics. I don't care about what websites you read that make you feel smarter than everybody else. It's not about you. It's about those around you. So if you can have some compassion and empathy, whether you have it or not, just wear the mask. Okay, it's just, it's it's the nice thing to do. And if we all want to act like we're actually nice, good people, let's just do a nice, good thing. Even if the end, it doesn't matter. Okay, all right. I feel better about it. All right, Kansas State preview coming up. Very excited for this. We're going to continue to get all of our uh, Big 12 previews in before the season kicks off on September 12th, still assuming that it does. Uh, And until we have, as long as we have a season on the schedule, as long as there's a schedule out there and nothing's been canceled, we're going to keep doing these. I'm excited to do them. Kansas State preview. Let's get to it. It's time for our Kansas State preview because as we've been saying, we're going to keep doing previews until there is no season. And as of now, it looks like we are going to have a fall football season. Very excited to have Derek Young, Kansas State online, Kansas State rival site, here with us today to help preview the Wildcats. Derek, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to talk a little Kansas State. This is a team that I think... I think is overachieved the right is a fair word because that's how it felt for Chris Kleiman in Kansas State in year one there for him. Um, 
really exceeded expectations, especially with what, what it felt like they had on the roster. Is that a fair, I mean, that's what everyone has said thus far. Do you feel like that's a fair evaluation of year one or should we all have expected something like that? No, I think it's fair. I think if you look at what everyone was, you know, essentially expecting from them, then they exceeded those expectations, you know, by, by any tool that you want to use. I, I, they went 8-4 last year. Uh, they, they beat an SEC team. They beat Oklahoma and were the only team to do that. So they accomplished a lot of things that not a lot of people thought was possible, including myself. So just by any measurement, uh, they, they definitely overachieved. And I, and I don't think there was also a case of, oh, we were sleeping on them. They had more talent than we thought. Um, in the vein of, that they did, Overachieve, I think it was essentially just it was just that good of a coaching job in my estimation. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Look, I, I'm a big climate fan. He was one of our when he got hired as a guy we thought was it was going to work out there. And I still think long term he will. Um, okay, so let me ask you this: Are you a are you a good news first or a bad news first kind of guy? Uh, covered bad. Okay, so bad news. Let's talk about the bad news then. Uh, Kansas State returning. Two starters on their offense have lost. Uh, that is just you – know, luckily one of those is quarterback Skyler Thompson and the other one being wide receiver Malik Knowles. Entire offensive starting offensive line has to be replaced. And I want to talk about the offensive line first because I think it's always an unsung group uh, in college football that needs some attention. Replacing all five starters, even with an experienced quarterback, is seems like a fairly daunting task. Uh, is this a situation where, oh, no, we lost a lot of talent and hopefully the guys can step up? Or is this a situation of maybe maybe the guys behind them are going to be more talented and, and, and we're not as sad that some of the guys who are gone are gone? I mean, I, I think we're, they're going to feel that lack of experience uh, no matter what happens. You, you don't lose five seniors and get away with it. Uh, you don't get – that doesn't happen to Alabama. It doesn't happen to Ohio State. doesn't happen to Oklahoma. USC, Texas, uh, you, all those teams, if they are to lose all five off at the linemen in one year, they're going to feel that lack of experience the following year. And that's definitely going to be the case for Kansas State and and what they're going to have to deal with this season. Uh, and making matters worse, uh, since we're definitely still on the bad news topic here, probably not a great off season to have five new starters on the offensive line either because you know, your most offensive line coaches talk, your most head coaches talk. Uh, chemistry and cohesion is pretty vital to the position, and they're not going to have any of that. Um, spring football would have been very important for that group, and they didn't get it. So that didn't help. Now, if we do work on the bright side of things, just because, you know, I've covered Kansas State now for three and a half seasons, it feels like. Uh, I would say that I think as a unit, it is probably a more talented unit now than even the ones they've had the last couple of years, which have had some really good players, one being Dalton Reisner and, and some other solid key pieces as well. So uh, they, they may not look as good as last year's unit. I think it's still a more talented unit in, you know, it could look like a great unit you know, in a year or two, it's probably not going to look like a great unit this year. And the second and probably final 
maybe bright spot, you know, or maybe it won't be as bad as everyone thinks, is that Josh Revis does return. And although he wasn't, quote, unquote, a starter, he got starter level, a starter quantity amount of snaps each of the last two seasons. I think he was even all conference by a few different outlets. So he's not your typical backup the last two years. He was the sixth man and essentially got the same amount of snaps as much of the starters. So I'm curious, where would you rank Skylar Thompson among the big 12 quarterbacks for this year? Probably middle of the road. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of everyone off the top of my head. I think Jared Daggy has a chance to be a decent quarterback for West Virginia. Thompson's probably slightly ahead of him at at this point. He's probably behind Brock Purdy, of course. But he would be ahead of whoever is going to be under center for KU. He has the experience over Spencer Rattler, but I wouldn't put him over Rattler. So I have him behind Rattler, behind Purdy. Just because I expect him to take a big leap, I probably have him behind Spencer Sanders. I think Spencer Sanders has, a, has the potential to be a really good football player this year, and his upside is so much that there's a chance that he'll probably shoot ahead of Skylar Thompson. Same Ellinger is ahead of Skylar Thompson, of course. Hey, Max Dugan is kind of like Spencer Sanders, where his upside is so high he could shoot, shoot across as well. And I'm not the world's biggest Charlie Brewer fan. He's still the quarterback at Baylor, correct? Uh, yes, as of now, he's still going to be the starting quarterback for, for Baylor. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Charlie Brewer fan. I know most people would probably put Brewer ahead of Skylar Thompson. I don't know that I would. And Alan Bowman just doesn't stay healthy enough at Texas Tech. So the only definite one that I think I would put Skylar behind would be uh, Purdy, Sanders, Rattler, and Dugan. So, yeah. Right in the middle. Well, and Ellinger. So, yeah, that, that sounds about. In the, yeah, in Ellinger. Yeah, okay, so that's about where I had it. Now, I had seen some Kansas State you know, fans, obviously being fans, um, really argue that Thompson should have been considered a little bit more highly. But, you know, it, it's the Big 12. It's a high offense league. And I understand that, you know, Kansas State does things a little bit differently. And obviously they had a good record last year. But when you, you have a passing attack that raced last in the conference, and 108th nationally. Uh, that seems like the area that you would like to see Kansas State improve upon, and that's I think a lot of that's going to rest on Skylar Thompson this season. Do you have we kind of seen what Skylar Thompson is, or do you think he has another level he can go to? If you ask the coaches, they think that he has another level that he can go to. I'm a little bit more suspicious and skeptical of that of myself, just because he's never really. I guess I want to say exhibited great pocket poise, and that's been kind of the culprit of many of his breakdowns and when he does struggle. He has some games where he's a special talent, that he looks incredible. I mean, and it's been each of the last, I want to say, two of the last three seasons. I think it was, what was it, 2017 in Oklahoma State where he yeah. went off? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, and surprised the top 10 team. And then last year at home against Oklahoma where he did something similar. So if, if he was, you know, consistently that type of quarterback, the one that did it against Oklahoma State in Stillwater in 2017 and then against Oklahoma at home in 2019. And then we are probably talking about a top three or a top four big ball quarterback, but it just hasn't been consistent. It's, it's poised, you know, and the pressure isn't always the greatest 
Um, but I will say, if you look at if, if you're looking at volume stats in terms of what this state coaching staff kind of does from an offensive perspective, you're probably looking at the wrong thing. Um, if you want to measure how good of a passing offense this will be, just because their pace of play is much slower and they're closer to 50-50 on run-pass ratios than, than probably everyone in the Big 12, that the efficiency numbers are, are going to be the best way to measure their passing offense. All right, so let's talk about the defense. This is we did the the negative. Now let's look at the positive. Kansas State's got quite a bit coming back. Obviously, guys like uh, Wyatt Hubert, uh, Elijah Sullivan, um, uh, Walter Neal. Like the the defense has quite a lot. Now there's there's a few spots on the defensive line where they've got to they've got to fill some spots, um, replace some starters. Um, but one guy I really want to talk about is is Justin Hughes, who missed um, all of last season. Uh, got injured in spring, didn't get to play. He's back this year for the middle linebacker spot. How big is getting him back for the season for this defense? Oh, it's incredible. And if you just listen to these coaches and the way they talk about him for as soon as the day that they arrived, like his importance to that unit can not be understated ever. That's the tell highly they think of him and I don't even know that it's so much of what he does himself on an individual level of what he could do for a defense because he's a pretty he's been a pretty good player the last time we saw him but he wasn't like an elite athlete or an elite player but he was a solid solid piece to a defense but they talk to him in a different light so it's more more about what he means and what he can do for everyone else when he is on the field and I think it's a great question you bring up because I think that you know, assuming we're going to see some football this year, people are going to be like, man, didn't realize how, how vital of a piece Justin Hughes might have been. You know, how much better could this team have been last year had he been on it? Like, that might be a question people start to have because I think that's what the significance and impact of, of what he brings to the table is. And I, and I know you touched on it. I don't know if you, you know, he's the chief of Kansas State, Sullivan, Hughes, everyone knows Wyatt Hubert, who's probably, it would probably shock most of, most of everyone, especially me and you, if Wyatt Hubert wasn't a first team all big ball player. Mm-hmm. He, he might be, he might be the best defensive end in the league. Uh, but another guy that I think gets over, overlooked as well is AJ Parker at corner. He's an Oklahoma native and he'll be a senior, a three, he'll be a third year starter. And I think he is a lot better than, you know, most, people think as well yeah we had a hubert uh first team on our on our preseason defense um so let's talk about that secondary uh, kansas state returns both starting corners uh and, and starting uh, safety wayne jones that is and this is the big 12 um this is a, a kansas state defense that did well against the pass in a pass happy big 12 they you know ranked number two in in uh in in yards per game allowed uh how big is that for this year? And again, it's another situation where you look at and say, can we see them take this to another level and, and be even better this year with the guys they have coming back? I think they anticipate taking it to another level. We spoke with defense coordinator Joe Quinterman today, which is Wednesday. Uh, and he thinks that their secondary is better right now than it was at any point last year. And that's even with an abbreviated offseason. They have more guys that can play. The, qual- the quality 
is is better. Uh, they said where they are right now, they never were at any point last year. So that's saying a lot. They were the number two pass defense in the Big 12. Um, and a lot of that helps tremendously, obviously. In the past, happy league like the Big 12. That matters. That's why they were also the best third down defense in the Big 12. I think they were a top five third down defense nationally. So those numbers are, are huge and they, you know, they anticipate, they expect that to continue at least at some level. Not only do they bring back, you know, AJ Parker and Wayne Jones, uh, they bring back, he played the nickel for them, which is a starting spot on their, on their defense because they essentially play a four, four, two, five. Their nickel is Jerome McPherson. He wasn't, I guess the prototype of what they typically want in a nickel, they didn't have that last year, so they had to play him there out of necessity. That's what was shared to us, not well, really today. So McPherson will probably play the other safety spot alongside Wayne Jones. And, and retro freshman Tyler Lewis will get some run there as well. Jonathan Alexander was kind of the, the third safety a year ago, and the depth guy, he's opted out because of COVID-19 concerns, but they don't seem really uh, panicky there because I think they've wanted to play McPherson and Tyler Lewis a little bit more anyways. So Alexander's playing time was already going to be probably lesser than it was a season ago. I think there's probably some questions as to how much Walter Neal will play this year. That's not because, uh, you know, he's basically getting booted. I think he's still kind of, playing back and forth whether or not to play this season. And I think some of that also may be because uh, I think his starting spot's probably in jeopardy in general. Kansas State brought in two transfers at corner that they really, really like. One is the Duco transfer from Hutchinson Community College and Justin Gardner that will play this year. And the other is a graduate transfer from Minnesota that I think will be their starter in Andre Thomas. So you, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Klanderman, the new defensive coordinator after uh, Scotty Hazelton left for Michigan State. Um, what a move, man. He's not even going to get to coach anything this year. Um, how, obviously, Klanderman promoted from within the program. It, is that going to, are we going to see any sort of dip having to, to change defensive coordinators in a year where you didn't get spring and you didn't get summer and you, and you have this abbreviated off season? Or is is the fact that he's already been on staff, and I assume they're not really going to change much about the defensive style, mean we shouldn't see much of a dip because of the change at D.C.? Yeah, I don't, I don't expect much dip. If, now, if they hired from outside, then you're, that concern would be valid because uh, you probably are – you're probably not going to change even the scheme if you hire from outside. But, you know, some of the, the nuances, the little tidbits here and there, the terminology, the drills, the, the preparation, some of that gets altered just a little bit when you hire from the outside. And, and obviously with the offseason that we've had, that becomes a little bit challenging to transition into. But I don't think that's going to be the case. And they're basically, you know, they basically replaced Scotty Hazelton with one of his pupils and Joe Klanerman. Uh, Klanerman's going to do a lot of the same things as Hazelton. The terminology will not, will not change because he's already been there. That's the terminology that he knows. So there just won't be that transition. And if you would have, and if you, anybody listened to every press conference 
that Chris Kleiman did or the defensive coordinator from last year, Scotty Hazleton, did, um, they knew that when the day came where Hazleton was going to get a better opportunity from a financial perspective and would leave, it was clear that there was already a play in place, almost like a succession, that Joe Kleiman was going to be the next guy. So not only do I see very little transition because, you know, they hired from within, they hired the so for more news coordinators people. I also think it's because they already kind of had it in mind that they were going to do it this way anyway when the time came. So one stat I want to ask about, uh, as much as as good as the defense was last year, and as, as much praise as it deserves, there's one area that it, it suffered greatly, and that was in the red zone. Um, the stat I have is that basically teams scored by either, either a touchdown or a field goal on 97% of like red zone possessions. So, not a great thing. What have they said that they are working on or what do they think they are going to be able to do to basically not be such a, a, a bad defense in the red zone? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, this has been kind of a quirky year. And even our access and, you know, availability and discussions with coaching staff hasn't necessarily been, you know, frequent or prevalent on, on any level. I'm sure that's going to be an item of conversation that they focus on and put attention to and it may be emphasized, you know, in fall camp. But they're probably already doing so. And it's kind of a weird thing. You think, you know, so good on third down, you'd be, you know, not so putrid in the red zone, but that clearly wasn't the case. And you're in it probably comes down to situational football. Just like you want to know why Kansas State was so good on third down, because they got in great downs and distances and put themselves in a great opportunity. They probably put the offense in third and long. That's why they were great on third down. Uh, when they got in the red zone, you know, you know, they're on their heels. They don't, they don't have the advantage. They're, they don't have the. Uh, they're not on top of the offense anymore. They're, you know, unless they back them up on a huge third and long. So Kansas State definitely, I guess, to your point, took it took advantage of the down and distances, and, and it's harder to uh, reap those rewards in the red zone. So it was important for them to stay ahead. You know, they always talk about offensive speed ahead of schedule. It was important for the defense to stay ahead of schedule, and if they did, they were successful. You can't really do that in the red zone. That's probably why they struggled. So they're going, and that's clearly some of that is a talent talent deficit. Is that they're not? They were, like I said earlier, they, I don't want to say they're under talented, but they were more at a talent deficit. They didn't have as many guys that could play. They didn't have enough good players. They feel like they've already raised that level. They feel like they now have more better players. So it, it simply could be that easy, and I'm sure that's what they're hoping for. So before we talk about the schedule, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Joshua Youngblood. The guy was electric on special teams, um, utilized in the offense, but not as much, I think, as I would have have liked to have seen. Are they going to try and get him more involved um, in the offense outside of just special teams this year? Yeah, they've already mentioned that. They'd like to, and, you know, there's probably two different reasons why they didn't last year. One. He was a true freshman that was not an early enrolling, so he probably didn't grasp the playbook, you know, enough to where 
they felt like there was, you know, a ton of plays at their disposal that he could be involved in. And secondly, I think it, it came down to a point where his skill set, you know, wasn't prepared for that, um, for that workload. And I think that that had a lot, lot to do with it. He, he was, you know, as a receiver, as a route runner, not as college. He was a high school quarterback. He never played wide receiver in high school. So a lot of things were completely new to him. Um, special teams, that's easy. Catch the ball, they'll run like hell, right? So <laughs> that, 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 that's the way it goes there. Offense, a little bit different. Uh, you're, there's a lot of, like, you know, so many different details. Um, just when it comes to the play, like your responsibility, you have to block, you, you have to do this, you have to do that, or just sweep, which kind of, you know, embodies, you know, his skill set and his usage. That won't change. Last year, he was a gadget player. Abbreviated off season, I still tend to think he might be the gadget player again. They are going to try to get the ball in the hand more than they did last year. But last year, they couldn't because he didn't know the playbook enough or because you know, couldn't really get open. And that was still a question mark last year. Again, never having played wide receiver before, you can't just go from being a quarterback all your life to a wide receiver and know how to run a route. It's, it's a lot more complex than that. The footwork and everything that goes into it, how to, you know, not round your cut, round out your cut. You have to be stuck in every department and every capacity. It's I mean, football is a difficult game. Playing certain positions is difficult. If you've never done it, it's challenging. And that was sort of the complication that he was going through last year and why it was tough for Kansas State to find not to get him more involved and up the usage level. I think he'll be at usage level. We'll go up to Sunnia. We play a regular season. I think it'll be more than it was last year. But I would still temper expectations on how many touches he gets per game. Slightly more than last year. I don't think it's dramatically more because he's someone that had off-season surgery as well. And then when you add in the fact that COVID really shut down availability and practice opportunities in the off-season, I think it's tough. I don't know. Kansas State does a pretty good job of turning like former walk-on fifth-string wide receivers into quarterbacks and being successful. So I, I would think that they'd be able to do the reverse of that. Um I'm kidding. But, uh, okay, so let's talk about the schedule. Schedule came out today, full conference schedule, and we have learned officially that Kansas State will – the non-conference game will be against Arkansas State on September 12th in Manhattan. Um, you know, Kansas State went from what seemed like a favorable start to their schedule in 2020 originally. They had Buffalo, North Dakota, Vanderbilt, at West Virginia, Texas, and Kansas. That's a nice start to a season. That, that feels like you got Texas early, you get them at home. Um, at West Virginia and Kansas is your two other starting uh, conference games. That's a nice schedule. Now you get Arkansas State. Great schedule. I mean, that, that was a schedule where, where, it, where conceivably you could say worst-case scenario because I think they were going to get payback on West Virginia for last year because that was their one disappointing game of the entire year. You, you, could, you could have said with the original schedule, worst-case start was 5-1. and one. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like it six and zero was there, five and one felt like worst case scenario. Now you get Arkansas State, who Kansas State should beat Arkansas State, but that's a solid G five program. Blake Anderson does a good job there uh, with Arkansas State. Then you have to go to Oklahoma, you get Texas Tech, and then you go to TCU. And I and I understand 
Texas Tech being what they are and TCU trying to figure a lot of things out. But that's a, I think that's a more difficult start to the schedule, especially with everything going on, than what they had. Throw in the fact, so you get your idle week after that, and you get Kansas at West Virginia, Oklahoma State, okay? And then you have to end coming off an idle week with back-to-back road games at Iowa State and at Baylor, and then Texas at home. Um, this Kansas State schedule, I don't feel like the Big 12 really did Kansas State any favors here. Seems a lot more difficult than what they had had originally. What is your kind of, yeah, okay. So I was, was going to ask, what is, what's your opinion of, of Kansas State's new schedule this year? I would agree that it's, it, now it's become a little bit more challenging. It's still back loaded, though. That's the interesting thing. Think about the last four games, right? Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Baylor, um, and Texas. <laughs> that that's really challenging. And then, but it's not so much backward because you still have to play Oklahoma out of the gate. Um, no, and our Arkansas State is probably the same caliber of G five program that they were expecting from Buffalo. Buffalo was going to be kind of like that tricky group of five opponent as well. Buffalo has an NFL running back. Um, you're going to get a similar challenge from Arkansas State. They'll win that still, um, but but I pray for them when they play Oklahoma because I don't think the Sooners have forgotten about what happened in October. I think it was October last year in Manhattan. So um, I pray for them in that one a little bit. I will say this. I don't know if you agree, but I guess I think TCU is still on the downturn. And I think the fact that they're kind of almost becoming a little bit of a transfer you and and then taking some risky recruits such as Zachary Evans, yes, he's the number one running back in the country, but he's also the biggest headache in the country of a recruit that, that anyone's seen in probably five years. These just seem like things that Gary Patterson hasn't really tended to do before, so it, it kind of reeks a little bit of desperation and out of his comfort zone that I think backfires a little bit. And it kind of coincides with them struggling a little bit in terms of, you know, if you compare it to what they had raised expectations in that program to, the last two or three years haven't been very comforting for them. So I, I tend to think TCU is still in the downturn despite what appears to be like an influx in talent, I think is uh, are still mighty risks being taken. I'm not buying into that. And I think Kansas State is just a better program than Texas Tech right now. Um, the last year's game in Lubbock was a wild one still that they had to eat out at the end. But I, I still think that they're in a better shape than Texas Tech. So you still you walk through there. That If you beat Texas Tech and TCU and Arkansas State, I think you still start 3-1, and one, which is, I guess, a big comforting knowing what the back end of the schedule looks like. So let me ask you, I I felt coming into this year, I had Kansas State going 6-6. Six and six. I thought they would take a slight step back this year, um, continue in the right direction. But because they had overachieved last year, I thought they might come back to earth a little bit, especially with everything they had lost on offense, replacing defensive coordinator. You throw in the fact that you know offseason was what it was because of the coronavirus. It felt like Kansas State might take a, a slight step back, but still be moving in the right direction under climate. So looking at the new schedule now and everything going on, what do you think is a fair expectation for Kansas State in year two under Coach Climate? Well, I guess I think 
you got you got to win your non-league game. It'll it'll start with this. I would have been better than six and six, just because there was steps back to be taken, but I think there were still some minor steps forward to be taken as well. And I think and we already went over this. I think that the schedule was pretty um, on their side, so to speak. Um, the original schedule. I mean, they were probably going to start five and one. I think they were still going to win seven or eight games um, on the original schedule. Everything's a crapshoot with the new one because we don't know. You know, the COVID restrictions in the abbreviated off season is going to have an impact on what the season looks like. Mm-hmm. Is it going to make? Is it going to make everyone closer together? Is it going to basically uh, eliminate the, the gap in talent because no one really got to do anything? No one really got to sharpen up? No one really got to practice for essentially nine months? I don't know. I, it's really hard to predict in that perspective because I think the COVID pandemic and the restrictions that were there and even – Probably the the nerves that will be there when when they get tested three times a week, and hoping that and praying that you know this one's not going to be a positive test. We see the the psychological and mental challenges that even NBA players and MLB players are going through. So it's going to be there for college football players too. It's going to be a year like no other if they're able to complete it. it. It's not going to be predictable in that sense because. I think college athletes are going to be more susceptible to, you know, I, I guess let's say alterations or, or stress or their behavior is going to be impacted by the protocols that have to be in place and the nerves that come with it, the anxiety that comes with it. The professional athletes are affected by it. College athletes are probably going to be affected by it even more because, you know, they have so much more going on. They're not as mature most of the time. So it's really hard to put put a number on the piece. And I think they – I'll just go through it. Kansas State, I think they're better than Texas Tech, and it should be Texas Tech. I think they're better than TCU, and it should be TCU. I don't think they're better than Texas. Uh, and they'd probably lose that game. But getting Texas and Manhattan in December – it's quite an advantage. They played Texas on December 5th in Manhattan, Kansas. I don't know the last time that Texas has been in Kansas winter in December, but I don't know if they'll like it. Uh, I'll say that much. So I think that, that plays a role as well. Baylor, I think, is probably better than Kansas State. But they just broken a new coach in, in a, on an offseason that completely shook. That's going to be very difficult. And they didn't hire within. They hired from outside, um, outside the tree in that rule. So that's not going to be easy. They were probably better, but that gap is created by having a new coach that's not really connected to that role. That gap probably dissolves right away because of that. So they were better. Do they win? Who knows? That, that puts everything in flux. Oklahoma is better. Not really in flux, and they're going to want to pay back. Kansas State's probably going to get blown out in that one. That's how I see Oklahoma State's better. They're going to want payback. I think. Wait, no. No, Oklahoma State. That's a big difference. Oklahoma State beat Kansas State. 
they completely handled Kansas State last year. If anyone wants to pay back, it's the Wildcats. Um, but they're not going to get it. I think Kansas State can lose to both Oklahoma teams. They'll beat KU because KU might be worse than you were last year. I think they'll beat West Virginia, and that's a payback game because that was the most disappointing effort. So I think they show up and win that one. And the Iowa State's always a wild card. They call it Paul McGedden. It's a very underrated rivalry. The hatred between those two schools is uh, stronger than most realize. Mostly, more than I realize, more than about anyone realized. And it's when it's the last game of the season. It's unfortunate that that's probably going away. I think Kansas State fans, in terms of football, I hate Iowa State more than KU. So that's probably because KU is not all that relevant. But anything goes in that game. But Brock Purdy's tough to beat. Kansas State stole one at home last year. You have to imagine me beating names and Brock Purdy being what he is. It's going to be a pretty tough one to steal. Yeah, I've I've talked with quite a few people about Farmageddon. I'm, it's it's a fun one. I would love to go to a Farmageddon game. I'm just going to say it right now. Plus, can we just officially call it Farmageddon now? Can it, it needs an official name. It needs an official trophy that needs to be awesome. Like, it just need that's just like call it that the Farmageddon trophy. Like it's it's like the unofficial name, but I would like it to be official now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely an unofficial name. There's no official capacity to it, but I think that that. People are starting to use that the term Farmageddon for it much more often. I think it's starting to catch on to, to where they might as well officialize it. Yep. Derek, man, you have been awesome. I really appreciate your time tonight. This has been fantastic. Um, do me a favor. For everybody who wants to check out the work you do covering the Kansas State Wildcats, where can they do so? Yeah, I mean, I'm at Twitter. I'm the Young Rivals. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. The website's kstateonline.com. We have a Twitter, too, but I couldn't tell you what it is. I, I, I hate social media a little bit more every day, but you got to do it because everybody's there. So, but, uh, No, I hope you enjoy our work, and we're going to keep plugging away just like anyone else. And thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, Derek. Thank you again, sir. Really appreciate it. Look forward to I hope having this season kick off and, and actually get some, getting to watch some football. Podcast Network.